speech, political speech, freedom of speech, those sorts of things. Again, I think we take that for granted in the United States that we have that freedom. But uh, maybe talk about that and the differences there between the Cultural Revolution and the opening up period. Uh, and, and maybe did you see changes in the area of freedom of speech and expression? It's very interesting when I did my presentation. So in back in 19, like 100 years ago, 1911, over 100 years ago, um, there was a big movement started by the students. So it, it, it started some of the revolution in China and it went into a long period of turmoil in turn a uh, civil war and then the World War, one World War II, all these stuff. Now, it had not changed, so people still feel the same way. Like, especially students when they're, they're, they're studying, they're trying to find their purpose in life. So when it comes to that, I do believe people should Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of American Potential. You know, we love to talk to people who come to the United States from other countries because they have a great love for America, and we oftentimes forget about how special and how great of a country that we live in. And millions of people immigrate to America every year, which means there are millions of stories of why people want to come here and contribute to our amazing society. Well, today's guest grew up in Shanghai during an interesting transition for China from the Cultural Revolution, which focused on centralized planning and eliminating capitalism, to the reform and opening up period, which moved China into its socialist market economy. Now, after attending college, she started her a communication career at a Fortune 500 company in 2001 and in 2005 had the opportunity to immigrate to America. Now, after a 20-year career, she decided she wanted to dedicate her time to helping others and started working with nonprofits, veterans, first responders, and elected officials at all levels. At one point, she wanted to join the military but wasn't able to uh, do that, so she found a way to combine her heart for serving and her communication experience by becoming the civil affairs officer for the upstate unit for South Carolina's State Guard. I want to welcome Jur Fan Little to the podcast. Jur, thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's nice to be here, Jeff. Yeah. And thank you for your team putting all this together. Yeah. Well, we're excited to have you. I always love talking uh, to people about why they wanted to come to the United States. And, um, and you know, that, that transition, that journey uh, to the United States. Now, you grew up in an interesting time in China's uh, history. You were born, as I said, between the end of the Cultural Revolution and the Reform and Opening Up period. Can you explain what each of those are? So I did a presentation for a lot of groups trying to explain going back the history and from the 60s to the 70s, that was the Cultural Revolution, as you mentioned. So it's a lot of um, political, very hard time for a lot of people and a lot of persecution. Um, when I was born, that really was toward the end of it. Um, I have an older sister, so she lived through some of it as a young child. I didn't. And 
when the in the early 80s is where the government the mostly the party decided we need to have we need to have some growth we can't keep closing up the country um so that's when because they tried different things whether it's agriculture whether it's industrial it didn't work um so the early 80s end of 70s is when they started to say we're going to open up we're going to attract some um business investment figure out a way to make it work and back then probably a lot of people still remember Deng Xiaoping and he was the main designer behind that plan he wanted to attract money get some people to be able to have some wealth but at the same time keep the very tight control on the politic on political and society, uh, social control yeah so that's kind of the context what what were some of the stories maybe that you'd heard from some of your family members that lived during that cultural revolution time mm, it's um i tried to i went through my head trying to kind of i was like oh there wasn't a lot but then actually when i write it down there's a lot like from my grandparents from my parents both my parents from my aunt my uncles so a lot of the story when people live through this is they're um right before that there was actually a great famine and there was a lot of governments um ideas trying to develop a lot of things but didn't work because you can't have a top down control and without really understanding the reality so um my i think my mom has five four siblings right so all of uh, many of them if they're old enough they were they had the choice to either go to either um remote area of china and uh, to contribute to something or they can choose some other kind of line of work my mom was accountant by trade by training but he um went to she he, she she was she sent she was sent to school to teach for over 10 years she loved it but at the same time it's just one way the government kind of just move people around uh, without asking you my aunt went to far far away northwest of china um literally for probably 20 30 years of her life and eventually was able to come back to be closer to the family after a lot of hardship um and my uncle was similar he was sent to somewhere pretty far um and he lived the rest of his life there married got children he loved his career there but at the same time there's just a lot of um family being displays and those are actually pretty decent story most a lot of people didn't get that a lot of people persecuted for in the education area in the um as long as there's something that other um the government or certain groups find that you're doing wrong or just by having a family tie with someone you probably just didn't have a future you didn't have a job or sometime your life and your property will be in jeopardy so and i do remember we had ration so i remember went to the store with the little ticket book trying to get stuff hmm. wow that's my story so so it it seems like at the very least you kind of didn't get to choose really what you wanted to do with your life at, at worst it seems like uh you know there was political or religious perhaps persecution uh of of citizens particularly during that cultural uh, revolution time right yes and i believe since um early 50s you know basically when the communist party took control of the country in 1949 the there's no there was no more faith or religion freedom when it comes to that so when it came to that so no um 
my grandparents on both sides were all very were all very devoted Christians, but as soon as that was shut down, so nobody talked about it. I didn't even know until I was in my teenage uh, when I was older that I realized my grandparents were both devoted and they had home church. Um, and my parents never talked about it until I was older. Yeah. So that's that part. Yeah. That's something that we take for granted, I think, in the United States uh, is that very thing. So, uh, you know, we talk about religion and politics and stuff pretty freely in the United States, even though people say, oh, don't talk about religion and politics. We do it a lot in the United States, but it, we take it for granted. It does seem in, in many countries, sounds like China, uh, you, you know, your grandparents were people of faith, but didn't feel that they could outwardly express that without having the government interfere uh, with them or persecute them. Is that right? Yes. Um, back then it was very, it was literally, you know, it's a life or death issue. And as I was growing up, it became different. It's still very tightly controlled, but there's all, there's mechanism. There's all, there's way the uh, the government try to control it. So basically, you still have churches. You actually have churches you can go to big, you know, if you look at it, you wouldn't know any difference. Then you look at a Baptist church around here or a any church in major cities here. But the people, how should I say, are not really running it, but the clergy are actually, they have to pledge um, to follow certain regu regulations and guidelines. Mm -hmm. So that. It's very different. It's not like to the to the to other the religious side, but it's the government side. So to this day, and it's not allowed to talk about that as a foreigner. You cannot talk to anyone. So, about that. so that even allowing churches uh, to to be around and people to attend them mm -hmm. and things like that, that kind of happened through the reform and opening up period. Is that right? Yes. After um, during that period, so basically all friends were kind of opening on academia from. Um, religious a little bit, but still have very clear rules about what you can, you can and cannot do. Like you cannot have gathering at home. You have to go to these places of worship, which is um, monitored and um, governed kind of by the government. And there's also the economic side. So the opening was a way of government saying, let's let people have something because, right. it, but we will keep very tight control on the politics. Right. How about, how about, speech, political speech, freedom of speech, those sorts of things. Again, I think we take that for granted in the United States that we have that freedom. But uh, maybe talk about that and the differences there between the Cultural Revolution and the opening up period. Uh, and, and maybe did you see changes in the area of freedom of speech and expression? It's very interesting. When I did my presentation, so in back in 19, like 100 years ago, 1911, over 100 years ago, um, there was a big movement started by the students. So it, it it started some of the revolution in China, and it went into a long period of turmoil, in turn a uh, civil war, and then the World War One, World War Two, all these stuff. Now it, it had not changed, so people still feel the same way. Like especially students when they're 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 studying, they're trying to find their purpose in life. So. When it comes to that, I do believe people share the same, same desire to speak freely. However, I do think throughout the generation, especially my generation after the Cultural Revolution, people who lived through it or people who have seen it, 
And especially for me, I was very young when 1989, the Tiananmen Square happened. So that has a huge impact on people. So what it means is people realize as long as the system is the way it is, you have a choice. You could probably say something, but probably just going to disappear tomorrow. Or you find a way, either either you choose not to say anything or you find a way to say it in a way that you can still preserve yourself and be effective. So it's a little heavy to talk about, but I do know my generation, after seeing uh, 1989, what happened, and a lot of people choose to leave the country because we just feel like um, it, 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 takes, it would take a lot to, to right. be able to get to a point. Yeah. What about internet, like the internet freedom? And we, you know, you talked about 1989 and, and Tiananmen Square. And, you know, of course, since then, we've had the growth of the internet. We take it for granted in the United States that we can pretty much look at a website and, and we can get news from different sources and things like that. That to this day doesn't happen in China, correct? They really do control what citizens of China get to consume for news and, and internet sources. So there are two things, two terms actually in my, in my research I learned. One is the Great, Great Firewall. So you have the Great Wall of China, but you also have the Great Firewall of China. So that's literally, I'm not kidding, it's a real term and it's probably been 10, 20 years that's been in place. So when I travel back to China, um, I'm, I'm, I was shocked for the first time, but then I, and now I'm getting used to it. In two days, I will be prepared, not having Google, not having Gmail, not having a lot of the access. Um, you can use VPN, but just for general, for average citizens, that's one thing. Um, that's the internet, but also there's also, there was a book called, um, the amnesia of the Republic of Amnesia. So after 1989, so this is how the country, the government control is the internet. So when you search for a certain term, it will not come up. So it's not about you can access website or not. It's just the information does not exist. It's scrubbed. You look for Tiananmen Square, it will be nice pictures of the square. Nothing about anything mm. that happened. How about if you, how about if you searched, uh, you know, United States Constitution, Declaration of Independence, First Amendment, would those things come up? Hmm. That I have not tried. Yeah. Uh, I think it'll come up to a very, probably a very generic term. I think it's as long as it's something, as long as it's something that's not really saying anything negative about the government, yeah, yeah. or anything too controversial. So when you were growing up, di did you did you have a sense that you were missing out on on freedoms, or did you just not? know that the rest of the world really had those freedoms does that make sense that question it, it does um i would say um i, I would say there's certain part there's certain fields and parts and knowledge i was probably not aware that i was missing um but it i think it depends on the upbringing so my dad was actually somehow i think he he has certain understanding and it's probably because of grandma, both um, grandparents from both sides were Christian. So they have some interaction with Westerner Americans. So there's something passing down to my dad. So my dad was always telling me and my sister about there's a free country. There's a free place that 
there's the America. So I've heard of those. Um, and I do believe, and I do think um, my major was actually um, um, French in college. So by studying a different culture, different language, it kind of opens your mind and trying to search for answers. I may not find the answer, but I'm, at least I know I'm, I am missing something. So at some point you decided that you wanted to immigrate to the United States and and love to talk about, you know, your thoughts on that. Was that, when did you decide, were you a young girl? Were you a little bit older when you thought, you know, I'd like to get to this country that has freedom that my dad was talking about? Yes. um, My sister left when she was, um, when she, after high school. So she was able to come here to study um, with the sponsorship and help from a Christian, um, Christian family. And I think they, it, it is a great thing that a lot of people do here. You know, you have adoption, but you also have sponsorship, um, sponsor a student to come here. And she came before 1989, which is very interesting because then in 1989 happened, a lot of students had to stay because then it was a question of where you can going back to. So for me, um, I actually went, finished college. I went to work, um, for my Fortune 500 company, uh, Fortune 500 company. Um, and my life was actually pretty, um, pretty comfortable. Um, but at the same time, I never felt like I fit in because it's just, there was no real freedom to think, to pursue, um, something that I really want to do to help to serve people. Um, it's just literally um, going through the motion, like finish college, get a good job, um, work, hang out with people. With, but then I'm like, I needed something more. So this is when I started to pursue more. Um, I was considering going to school. I wanted to um, do something for the environment. I almost went to study environmental science and marine biology um, but eventually I immigrated to us and, um, that was the process. So, you know, people talk about America. We talk about the freedom that, that we have in America, but also what you mentioned is the opportunity, right. Uh, of America and, you know, to kind of become who you want to be rather than what maybe the government forces you into being or, or those sorts of things. It seems like that really drew you that opportunity to become what you wanted to become. Yes. Um, one thing that's very interesting, and I, um, I explained to people before, when I was in high school, when I was going to high school, say 15, 16, everybody kind of have to pick your path. So either you're going as arts path or the science path. Think about that. So you put in different classes and you get different attention from the from the instructor teachers. So I was putting the arts path. So like as much as I want to explore, I love science, but so you're right. It's about opportunity. It's about really allowing people to pursue and to really fulfill and to really excel. Um, so yes, but that's on the foundation of freedom and liberty yeah. and, and the, and the Christian value as well. Yeah. What and I love this question. I love asking uh, immigrants this question. I, th- there's a video out there, and I want to. I think we're working to get this person on the the show. It's a person who came over from Cuba, and 
he drives now for UPS and he gets his first paycheck, opens it up. And he's just, he's, he's emotional about it because he knows that he got paid for providing work to his employer. It was just such a, a great moment. But, and so I can't wait to talk to him, but I love asking the question. And I've had people say, you know, the first time I walked into Walmart, I just couldn't believe all the things on the, on the shelf. But what was the biggest shock to you when you first came to the United States? So when, when I was thinking about that question, the first thing that came to my mind, and I told people too, is everything, especially the dessert was so sweet. So <laughs> that was a joke, but, but. On the serious side, I thought about this. So, um, we're talking about 20, about 20 years ago. So when I came, um, and especially when I was growing up, um, we didn't have hot water. When you turn on the faucet, the hot water would just come out. Yeah. So when I was in school, I was in a boarding school. We had to go get hot water with a, is a container. So we can have hot water. Oh, yeah. And, so that's one thing. So a lot of the basic things, when I say that, it might sound strange to people nowadays in China because now it's not a big deal, but hey, I am, I am, I'm the age I'm at. You know, I remember all these things like yesterday. Um, the, the basic amenities here in this country, even when you consider poverty, is probably above average in many countries. So that's one of the shock. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny you mentioned that. I had, uh, I think it was a few years ago when somebody told me this statistic that if you made about $36,000 in the United States of America, uh, you were the top 10% of, uh, or I'm sorry, the top 1% of wage earners in the world, which is a staggering yes. statistic. The top 1% only at say thirty five or 40000 dollars a year. Well, most Americans make more than that. Uh, and so, you know, it does really show you how, um, uh, you know, how wealthy uh, capitalism has made the United States of America. And if you may add, because I'm thinking through this interesting shock part, um, the fact that you look, especially outside of the major big urban areas, if you look around, you see cars. And in each car, you should have one person sitting there driving it. <laughs> right. So the abundance, abundance of cars and the resources and the roads and all these infrastructure, it's shock because I was watching a video the other day back, just it popped up. It was in Mumbai and it's China, but it was like that for me when I was younger is you cannot even get on the, the train, the bus, even you try because there's so many people. So think about the difference of. Yeah. So many cars and one person in that car driving that vehicle. <laughs> right. And so many different kinds of cars, too. I mean, I have noticed that when I travel, there's there's certainly different kinds of cars, but but they're generally a one class of cars. They're kind of smaller cars, economy type cars in a lot of countries here. You know, you may have a gigantic, you know, Ford F-350 pickup truck or, a you know, a very small fuel economy cars. But it, people get to choose the kind of car that fits their lifestyle here. I guess that's what that's about. For, for my for my years in China, um, there was one or two models: <laughs> Volkswagen Santana. That's it. <laughs> and besides, maybe one or two Chinese brand. Right. But in Shanghai, that was the car on the street. Yeah. 
What what's the greatest thing in your opinion about being an American? Wow. Um it's getting tricky nowadays because I do think that even though in this country people believe they have freedom, we're losing it and we actually lost it in many ways. Um, I think the difference is in China, in other countries, you know that you don't have it. Mm-hmm. Here, you think you might have it, but you don't. But the great things about being American, I got naturalized last year, even being here. I've been here for a long time. Um, I try to stay true to myself. Um follow God and really speak my mind and make my own decision based on my principles, uh, my faith. So that's what's the great thing about here. People might not like it. It's that's the same thing everywhere, but I can, we can do it here. If you really, you know, find your North star and keep to your faith and keep to your principles. Yeah. Well, that's such a great answer. What, what? Give me an example. Where Where do you think America is slowly losing its freedoms and maybe we don't even realize it? It's it's literally shocking because um, I, I think everybody kind of realizing it, but not to the extent. Like I talked to a lot of the young stu- uh, students on the campus. This is actually one of my uh, newest kind of interest is trying to understand what they're going through and what kind of freedom do they have on campus. I think that's a major problem. Um, it, it's because the big, uh, the larger envi- social environment is, is causing the problem. But I think this is part people don't even realize because they're living through it. And with young people, that's all they know is there's only, you can say certain things, you cannot say certain things. Um, yeah. That's what I see the biggest issue here. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of that peer pressure of certain things are acceptable to, to say, or, or if you don't go along with the group that somehow you can't, uh, you know, it's not appropriate to say or engage in. And those are, those are self-imposed things that where we're losing our freedom by, you know, we're just giving it away by, by doing that. So, um, let me ask you, oh, go ahead. Yeah. And it's worse than government imposed in our force because like you said, self-imposed, mm-hmm. it's actually a lot more effective and actually more destructive. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a, it's a great warning again from someone who, who saw a society that was closed and didn't protect people's freedom of speech. So after moving around the country, you ended up in South Carolina. You decided to kind of focus on volunteering. And then through some meetings, you found Concerned Veterans for America. What what drew you to CVA and you wanting to get involved with them and, and help? This is my favorite topic, actually. So um, I wanted always wanted to help. I wanted to serve. But veterans, military, first responder are the group of people that I feel like I'm not one of them. Um, I can try, but this takes such a special calling, um, a heart and talents to do that. So I believe um, through different groups that I started to work with and volunteer for a lot of veteran groups. And then um, I believe um, there's also some civic engagement groups that I work with on policy, trying to understand how the government works uh, with legislator, legislation, um, with CVA Concerned Veterans America, I found out about them, saw some events they were hosting and I went there. It was, 
it was very refreshing to have this combination of a group of people who care so much about military veterans, but also have the understanding of policy and how the government works. And that's kind of how I found them. And I started to hoping that they will have a chapter in South Carolina and they recently opened one and I, you know, tried to volunteer and help them as much as I can. Now, continuing on with your, your heart to serve, obviously you have a heart to serve. You wanted to join the military, but you couldn't because of your age um, and, and the, the time you wanted to join up. H- how did you find out about the South Carolina State Guard and what did you do with them? When I, after I talked to the recruiter, um, military recruiters, I was like, wow, this is, this is interesting. Uh, for the first time in my life, being told, oh, you, you cannot do something because of something <laughs> beyond my control. Yeah. Well, actually, now the first time, many times. Um, <laughs> at a veteran event, um, I talked to National Guard and they pointed me out to the South Carolina State Guard. So what it is, is a, is a, um, is a, a state defense force that reports to the governor and that can never be federalized, that can never be deployed. The focus is on disaster relief and emergency management. So basically we are trained um, to support and back up um, to support National Guard for all the emergency agencies, including FEMA, state level agency, county level, municipal level, fire department, um, police department, um, sheriff's office. And what I, I joined last year. So my heart is always with, um, communication. So I, I do a lot of community outreach. I go out, speak to people, um, trying to explain who we are and trying to get people to get either uh, to join us or to support us. That's what I do. I'm a civil affair officer for our local unit. So, and then in addition to the South Carolina State Guard, you're also the treasurer for Friends of the Highlanders. What's that organization? What do you do with them? So it's very interesting. So after working with the State Guard for a while, I realized there's State Guard is great in its mission and in its um, in its capacity. It's it's statewide covering the whole state of South Carolina. There are also some level of local needs that it's it's hard. There's always need for some local, more local um, organizations. Um, so State Guard and the Friends of Highland, the nonprofit, are completely separate. Um, so I wear different hats for the nonprofit Friends of the Highlander. Um, is very sim is it's similar in a way that we're kind of like Red Cross or Team Rubicon. If you have um, that, you or the um, other people have heard of it. It's basically an organization. People are trained and credentialed, um, vetted by the government. Um, when there's a need, we will be called to support the emergency agencies. So I'm the treasurer. I work closely with the president, and we kind of do. We just go out and trying to recruit more volunteers and get everybody trained and, but also do fundraising so that we can have the equipment um, that we can properly support and help uh, the agencies. Yeah. Jer, I love your story because, you know, it, it, it's a story. I love telling the story of immigrants who come to the United States and because they have this special uh, understanding of how precious liberty and freedom are and why we should fight so hard to defend it. But then the thing I really love about your story, too, is that you go on to to show this sort of life of service, right? 
now that you're here, you want to give back to our country. You want to give back to your community by volunteering uh, for these groups and helping first responders and veterans and others. So it's a great story. I really want to thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me and let me tell my story. I learned to go out, speak up, speak about my story. That way more people might be, might be encouraged, might be, you know, inspired and we'll have more people that will step up and help. Sure. That's amazing. Th again, thanks for, thanks for joining us. And again, folks, liberty and freedom are easily taken for granted. And you, we've got to be more like Jira. We've got to, first of all, recognize the freedom that we have. And we just, it is so easy to take it for granted when you're born with uh, in America and, and it, basically you have all these things that we've talked about, whether it's, you know, your choice in automobiles or all the infrastructure and roads or, you know, all the choices in a Walmart, no matter what. You, those freedoms are, those are things that we take for granted every single day. Every day that we walk on this planet, we're taking things for granted that we're given as a gift in America. And we have to stand up and defend those uh, freedoms, those liberties, and those, those precious gifts that we're given. Hey, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you being with us. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.